Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Art Matters. I'm your host, Erin Gibson. This podcast is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. Find us online at artuk.org and on social media at artuk.org, spelling out the word dot for our social channels. And use that hashtag, hashtag Art Matters Podcast, if you want to join the conversation about any of our episodes. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. It means the world to me and validates us in the eyes of the internet. With this series, we like to have taster discussions on the intersections between art and pop culture. Today, we're talking all about hair. Joining me is Rachel Gibson, freelance hair editor and woman behind at the Hair Historian. Rachel was previously the web editor for the 135-year-old title Hairdresser's Journal and is now a producer at Mastered for their online styling courses, in addition to her freelance writing work. Welcome, Rachel. Good morning. Nice to speak to you. Nice to speak with you as well. I'm looking forward to this chat. Me too. I'm always here to talk about hair. Yeah, and I for me, like the bigger the better. So I I love a good hair chat. Absolutely. <laughs> always. So the the idea of a hair historian is really interesting to me, especially when you start to track the history of hair through paintings. Can you talk a bit about how you got into the history of hair and art? Yeah, sure. So I did an arts degree and was always really interested in the cultural context behind fashion, beauty, kind of why we wear what we do, uh, what it means on a deeper level. That's something that's always kind of stuck with me. And then I kind of got into working as a beauty journalist and kind of that narrowed down to ending up working solidly in the hair industry. And I just think hair is one of the most interesting aspects of fashion because it's obviously something that we pretty much all have it's the one thing that's on view near to most people pretty much all day every day and you know we have phrase like bad hair day because hair matters mm. to people you know you don't have bad makeup days you don't have bad well you know not so much bad outfit days but basically hair it's is not a phrase anyway. no, yeah. hair <laughs> is just so important to people and I think you can do so much with it and it's something that's accessible to everyone. You know, you don't need loads of money. You don't need to look a certain way. Um, you can just play with hair. And through history, we've had so many amazing hairstyles. And I just kind of became a little bit obsessed with tracking them and kind of drawing connections between them. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of combining all of my interests. Yeah. And I guess because there's, you know, photography is a fairly recent invention. The only way to really look at those things is through looking at art. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of this true form of what was going on in front of us at the time. You know, I mean, obviously people maybe doctored things slightly, but it's not like the Photoshop or the things that we see today. This is like how people were wearing their hair. And even in sort of ancient sculptures and mosaics and reliefs and things like that, we see this amazing hair. And it, people put so much time and effort into painting it and making it look incredible that, uh, yeah, it's it's a really fascinating area to look at, I think. Yeah, I, w- I was going to ask you something different next about trends, which we'll come back to. But I I know in speaking with you previously, you mentioned kind of interesting history around how people cared for their hair and the Romans and crazy hair techniques. Could you give us just a couple of examples of those? Yeah, for sure. So people have obviously been using styling techniques since time began. It's absolutely not a new thing to want to change the way your hair looks or to make your hair look different. Um, we see people in in ancient art and, you know, we don't necessarily always consider the work that was done to get them, you know, photo ready, as it were. You know, people have been prepping their hair to make it look good for a really long time. So as you mentioned, the Romans, you know, they used a mixture of uh, bird poo and wheat 
bleach their hair because obviously there's <laughs> ammonia in that. Yeah. So, you know, they wanted to have blonde hair just the same way that people do today. And they, it was a rarity. No one really had blonde hair in those days. So they went to these extreme lengths to use it. Um, Cleopatra is said to have, um, she permed her hair by wrapping her hair up in tight little coils and then baking it in mud. Um, people have always been doing these strange things. Um, Egyptians actually nearly all wore wigs and their wigs were so valuable to them that they would be buried alongside them in their in their tombs. So people have always been super into this and um, there's a lot of really strange things that people did um, to kind of make themselves look like the fashionable people of the time or, you know, so we talked, we mentioned when I spoke to you last actually about these crazy high foreheads that we see in art and yeah. that was really like the the thing in Elizabethan times people wanted to look like Elizabeth the first with this high forehead so they would pluck their hairlines back sort of halfway across their head and you know that must have been an incredibly painful thing to do in an era yeah. when we didn't have laser hair removal you know you're literally just plucking every single hair out back like halfway across your scalp yeah it's so, it's so interesting to think about that because uh, um, you see these paintings uh, and I've seen them and I've noticed that these women have huge foreheads and it's, I just, I don't know, assume they had huge foreheads <laughs> and I can't imagine like why you would want to pluck your hair back, but that's fashion for you, I guess. Yeah, it's crazy. There's there's a, a painting on the site, the Cholmondley ladies, where it's two sisters or twins with their babies and, you know, they're really high profile ladies. They're, um, they, they're in the court of some sort and they have these strange bald foreheads and uh, yeah I, I know what you mean when you first start looking at them you think huh did they just like you know how you see these strange painting of dogs from medieval times and you're like do people just think dogs look like that yeah, exactly. <laughs> um <laughs> there's so many weird dogs in art and it's kind of the same and you kind of think why do these people's foreheads look like that is that what people look like in those days and yeah it was because they wanted to have these high foreheads were seen as really elegant so they were laboriously picking all of their hair out and showing off these giant bald foreheads yeah. and I mean we always look back at past trends and think I can't believe people did that you know even as far back as you know mullets in the 80s or people ironing their hair in the 70s and it's like nope bald heads you don't even have to look that far back you can look back to the early 2000s and think what was I thinking when I did this <laughs> yeah absolutely so uh, what are there other trends that you're able to track across kind of art history that stand out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, there are so many, but one of my absolute faves that I'm obsessed with is this, um, in medieval times, uh, medieval hair is always amazing. They have do so much crazy stuff. But there's this one um, called uh, the cornet, which is, um, you're probably most famous for seeing it in the Arnolfini portrait, where the um, the wife has this hair, which literally looks like cow horns. Yes. And it, that was a thing that they were doing in medieval times. They liked to wear these these sort of horns coming out of their head. Um, there was also a, a hairstyle called the ram's horn, which was hair kind of wrapped around the ears to look like a sheep's horn. And they would use like um, wire frames, um, padding, all sorts of odd bits and pieces to create these strange hairstyles. And I think the Arnolfini portrait was the first time I saw that. And I was like, what is this? Um, and kind of started digging. And you find all these portraits of medieval women with yeah. pointy bits coming out of the head. And like, uh, who can say why? But it actually looks pretty cool. 
And it seems to me like everything about the fashion of that time was like painful and time consuming and, and just why, why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And well, I mean, the, the, the time consuming part that you mentioned is really interesting because obviously that links to the fact that you're a wealthy person who was, you know, portraits were only being painted of wealthy people in those days mostly. And, you know, to, to be able to do your hair like that says, I have nothing better to do with true. my day really. Or I have, I have a maid that can do this for me because, you know, a, we see these portraits and you kind of think, oh, that's what everyone looked like at the time. But mm, that's more like what the society people who, who had these maids and the time to do it. You know, if you were some peasant girl in medieval England, you probably wouldn't be walking around with cow horns poking out your head. You'd probably just be focused on surviving. <laughs> that, that, that is a really interesting point, actually, about painting, because you it, it's all you have is visual evidence of kind of what's been going on across history. Uh, but it, it does funnel your focus in on like a very small subset of the population and you you do start to think like oh everyone wore these huge dresses and these horns Mm. for hair but really it's (laughs) it's it would be like you know today I don't I don't even know looking at you know some celebrity only you know paparazzi shots as an indication of kind of what everyone does or something yeah absolutely that I mean these are the people whose image you know today yeah we see someone on Vogue or we see something on the runway or a celebrity and you think you know that's not that's an extreme look that not everyone can get away with um and then, yeah I guess it's the same and that these are the high society people and the people that had the time and money and freedom to make themselves look crazy with trends but I guess that's kind of the way it's always been one of the trends that stands out in my mind is the um kind of the huge hair of like Marie Antoinette and the the huge wigs that kind of happened around that time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so that's this hairstyle that they called La Pouf, and it's just ridiculously high wigs. They are completely impractical. I mean, <laughs> it's a total signifier of wealth because you couldn't do anything with that stuff on your head. You just had to sit around and look pretty. So, um, you know, that says a lot. And it, it's really interesting. So people used um, a combination of their own hair and a bit of false hair, wigs, wire, all sorts of things in there to make their hair look that way. And then they would um, kind of put stuff in there to kind of get a message across. So they might put um, flowers in there, plants. Some people put animals in there. Um, one of them are like famous. Like a live animal? Yeah, like birds and things. <laughs> we're crazy. And uh, one of the most famous ones is... Um, I can't remember the name of who it was that had it, but they kind of put these toy boats in um, when there was a a battle going on, a sea battle was happening. And so all the society ladies sort of took to wearing little boats in their hair to show their political allegiances. Um, And these wigs really were personalized to reflect your mood, your interests, kind of what you're up to. It's, It's completely crazy. They would just put stuff in their hair to match whatever was going on you know what's the theme of the day we're going to wear some boats today we're going to represent this person this political party it's it's very strange yeah it's interesting I mean it's it makes sense in terms of people expressing themselves today I guess through fashion but I wouldn't wedge a boat in my hair that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) I mean yeah I guess it's no different to people wearing political slogan t-shirts or um any of those kind of equivalents that we have today yeah. this is a strange way admittedly but it was just a way of people expressing themselves and I think particularly for women who probably weren't particularly vocal didn't really have much of a, a stage to to set their opinions out on 
being able to put some stuff in your wig which looks cool (laughs) but also tells people what you're about um that's kind of a a way of them being able to get their message across which which is pretty cool are there any trends that stand out in terms of men um you know that are able to be seen through painting yeah I mean I think men aren't immune to copying celebrity hairstyles at all that was well I say celebrity celebrity in in sort of ancient terms um so and was uh in the regency area uh two of the most popular haircuts were the titus and the brutus which were obviously inspired by the roman emperors of the same Mm. name so really short sharp curly crops um that was something that everyone was wearing and they were genuinely called the titus crop or the brutus crop that's what you would ask your barber for and that's inspired by paintings and sculptures of egyptians uh sorry not egyptians romans um and then Talking about the big wigs that we were just mentioning, this was something that men wore as well. So in the 1700s, these powdered wigs were really popular with guys. Um, Charles II, Louis XIV all made them look popular. And so people were having to, you know, if you wanted to keep up, you'd have to spend all your time and money on getting these powdered wigs made. Um, And then so off the back of that, the government started to tax uh, hair powder in the towards the end of the the 18th century because they knew that they could make loads of money off it because that's what everyone was doing um actually incidentally people then started using flour because flour is a bit like hair powder i suppose and then but then due to um so uh basically there was a flour shortage at the same time so these people were faced with what are we going to do we haven't got our flour to put in our hair we've got to pay tax on hair powder um and this one guy, uh, the fifth Duke of Bedford, who there's actually a great picture of on the site, he just said, you know what, I'm, I've had enough of this. And he was this really high profile guy, big in society. And as a protest, he just stopped wearing his wig and wore his hair natural, um, short, unstyled. And all of his friends were like, OK, we're going to join you. We're going to back you because, you know, it's kind of fun to them as well. Like, let's make a political statement. Um so all of these guys started appearing in court without their wigs on. And from there, we get this haircut called the Bedford Crop, which is named after him. So it's, yeah, totally guys were very much susceptible to following the trends as well and definitely wanted to to copy the people that were making making an impact in the press. So very little has changed. Yeah. And also actually with his shorter hair, um, he his uh I think his barber sort of started using a, a hair wax to control his hair a little bit. And that's when we start getting hair wax as a as a commercial product that men can use. So, you know, product innovation comes off the back of these things too. And yeah, there's yeah, this great painting of him with that hairstyle. And it's so remarkable because there's no you don't see men without their wigs on at all in that era, apart from in this picture of him, which is really striking for that reason. Interesting that you can kind of point to one point at which something like that changes. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously that's the same in, you know, modern society. I mean, you know, the minute a celebrity gets all their hair cut off and starts wearing like a pixie crop or they bleach their hair blonde, everyone starts doing it. And that's always been the same. So aside from the trends um, that we discussed Mm. already, what are some of your favorite periods for hairstyles? Because there must be a period where you're like, I just love looking at the hair (laughs) during Uh, this time. Yeah, I mean, I love the pre-Raphaelites. I have got big red hair myself, and the pre-Raphaelites <laughs> love big red hair. Yes. Uh, Renaissance era too, so Botticelli, Rossetti, they do amazing hair. Um, and yeah, there's always 
lots of red hair in there and I love it because I guess I'm self-obsessed and I love my red hair (laughs) but also you know you know red hair is so interesting in in culture and in art I mean it's always been seen as this real rarity you know like only I think two percent of the world's population has red hair so it's it's something that people are kind of curious about and they want um and I think it, it's a real favorite with artists. You see so much red hair in paintings. And I think that's maybe got something to do with the fact that artist models tended to be uh, wanton ladies, maybe. And red hair is always very much associated with sexually promiscuous women. So you know, red hair has kind of always been that shorthand for saying this woman is promiscuous. Yeah, so you, know, yeah. you look at paintings by Gustav Klimt, Degas, all of the pre-Raphaelite brotherhood works you know there's so much red hair in that and I just find that really interesting that that's kind of a subtle code in itself like I've painted this woman with red hair therefore she's a fallen woman yeah like Mary Magdalene yeah I was just gonna say Mary Magdalene is pretty much always painted with red hair Mm. which is insane given that you know she was in the Middle East she she probably wouldn't have had red hair and you know that that links to to what I'm saying in that you know obviously she was supposed to be sort of a a courtesan of some sort although actually interestingly I did read that she was a hairdresser in some some sources so maybe that's why she had such great red hair I don't know <laughs> doesn't she wash Jesus's hair with her feet with her hair or something yeah absolutely I mean hair is intrinsically linked with her mm. and it's nearly always red which yeah it's I mean obviously there's so much symbolism in religious paintings but I think the fact that she's always painted with red hair is very symbolic. Well, this is interesting because you brought up Botticelli and then the red Mm. hair. So this is a perfect tie-in because in looking at paintings of Botticelli's Birth of Venus, where she has red hair, um, we see an example of how hair can be used in a slightly sexually suggestive way. Um, And there's a painting on on our site by John Rodham Spencer Stanhope where Eve's hair is kind of done in a similar way to that as well, draped over her vagina. I just wonder, do you find that, I mean, obviously we've mentioned that it can be, uh, there's some kind of intrigue there, I guess, with hair, but do you find that it can be about more than just the fashion? Yeah, I mean, so this is really interesting to me. I mean, until really relatively recently, you know, since like the 20s, pretty much, women always had long hair. Um, You grew your hair long when you were a child, when you reached puberty and became a woman, as it were, or, you know, you kind of, you got married, basically you lost your virginity. That's when you'd start to wear your hair up. And from that time on, you would never be seen with your hair down. If you were a respectful woman, you would never be seen with your hair down except by your husband. So it was a real sort of, um, that's something for you and your husband only, or maybe your sort of close family. And, you know, hair was basically seen as your husband's possession and it, it wasn't something that anyone else was allowed to see. And I think that's part of the reason why the pre-Raphaelite artists, just to go back to them, you know, that was considered so shocking because in the Victorian era, women would have never worn their hair down anywhere in civilized society. So to paint these women with these long flowing hair, those images are, are really sexual and it, it's a very it's just very intimate as well and yeah obviously um the birth of venus is the most famous and she's this real personification of female beauty and i mean she's a strawberry blonde so basically another redhead <laughs> and the fact that her hair down it, it's suggesting she's probably a virgin because she would be wearing her hair up and you know the other people in the painting around her all have their hair up it, that's not a fashion statement she's not wearing her hair like that because it was what people were doing at the era it's because 
they wanted to show her as this sort of sexual it's very problematic it's well like, and the way her hair is draped a- around her is very suggestive right the shape of the hair yeah yeah, yeah. and then the the John Rodham Spencer one that you mentioned is exactly the same thing it's like yeah the hair is kind of wrapped around Eve and she's being tempted away by this uh bizarre yes <laughs> he's got red hair too that oh does he yeah there's a lot to be said about this red hair I feel like they're, they're um, a bad rap here <laughs> yeah they really are I'm here to represent them um there's also this really famous picture by uh Franz Zavar Winterhalter who was a, a portrait painter in the Victorian era and he did this painting of Queen Victoria and it's known as the secret portrait and it wasn't seen in public until a few a few few years ago I think it was discovered and this was a wedding gift that was made for Prince Albert and it's Queen Victoria with her hair worn really it's worn down and it's kind of loosely falling over her shoulders and it's this really seductive hair and it looks really sexy and smoldering and these are words I don't associate with Queen Victoria I have to say (laughs) yeah yeah, right exactly and that's I mean it's a really smoldering picture and I mean obviously she was younger then it's not the kind of image we have but even so it's it's a really sensual painting and you know he would have had that on his desk in his kind of private areas like that painting should not have been seen by anyone that was very much essential to from victorian lady especially the queen to have her hair down and kind of loose like that it was really kind of it's a very intimate thing so yeah it's very interesting like hair being worn down just kind of it says a lot in a painting it's not just certainly uh not in you know in modern times it's slightly different but historically your hair being down wasn't a fashion statement. It wasn't because this is how women wore their hair at that time. It's because they're trying to say something about that woman. Yeah. So then <laughs> I, I wanted to touch on one last thing, which is mm. the paintings of women with their hair being styled. Does that relate to what you're saying about the kind of women sh- sharing something private or yeah so again I think having a painting of your hair being done that's a very intimate thing in that era quite erotic again and um it's very sexually charged and it's it's also really interesting I mean for me it's interesting to see the perspective of hair being done because it's like cool oh what were they using what kind of combs were they using but um it's also it's very it's behind the scenes it's like documentary style it's it's really quite invasive of someone's privacy as well it's quite voyeuristic um particularly given sort of the sexual narrative behind women's hair at that time um so to see someone having their hair done it's it's kind of quite titillating you know you've got this male artist invading a private woman's space that no man other than your husband maybe I mean probably not even him you know that's not something anyone should see it's a very personal thing so yeah it's um it's very sensual and also it mostly it's also a sign of wealth another sign of wealth in that mostly in those paintings you've got somebody else doing your hair you know your maid's doing the hair and it's also saying my wife is looked after so well that she can sit around yeah. and spend hours having her hair done. I mean, it's very much like, look at this beautiful thing that I own that can spend time making herself look nice for me. I think it's yeah. it's interesting that everything you're saying is kind of, it makes you want to go back and look at paintings a little bit differently because I think mm. you take it for granted, like, oh, here's a woman having her hair done. But then like what you're saying just there, you read into it a bit more like, yeah, that is a bit of a status symbol at that time, isn't it? You have a maid who's able to do your hair. Yeah. yeah and like there's a great Degas one on the website, uh, 
uh, it's called combing the hair and I, I, I'm kind of loath to get into it, but it does feel a bit like two women in a private space. What are they getting up to? They're doing something intimate together. It, there's a lot of, it's, they're very sexually fired, these pictures. And actually, you will not be surprised to know that in that Toulouse, in that Degas painting, they both have red hair, obviously. Oh, that's um, funny. And, <laughs> and, but yeah, there's, a, there's so many of these pictures. And yeah, it's, it's very intimate and it's very, um, it's a really personal thing. And there's also a beautiful Laura Knight one on the website um, called The Dressing Room. I think, I don't know if she was a, an actress. I mean, obviously actresses have a certain reputation as well, but so many of the paintings like that one, you'll see these women doing their hair absolutely naked. And I just think, when do you sit around and do your hair naked? Yeah. I mean, you have to pull that dress on over that hairstyle. Yeah. yeah right. So it, it's all very like, that isn't how people do their hair. And we all know it isn't so... <laughs> It's, I mean, yes, it is voyeuristic, which is it's slightly problematic. It does kind of make me think, hmm, should I be looking at this? But those paintings are so beautiful and so interesting. And I think that idea of someone kind of in a sort of a state of not being quite ready, it's very interesting compared to the finished portraits that we normally see of women from that era, you know, looking completely quaffed and they're posed for a picture. This is a real sort of, here's what goes into getting that final look. Yeah. Well, I think... We'll leave it here today. I, it's it's a lot to go back on. I feel like this is a, a good episode to listen to and then just start digging through the uh, the RUK website to just start analyzing hair. It's really interesting. Yeah, for sure. If, if anyone listening today wants to see paintings from uh, our discussion today or you'd like a little bit more information about Rachel, I invite you to head over to the RUK website at artuk.org slash about slash art dash matters. Uh, there's also a little survey over there if you don't mind filling that out for us. So thank you so much again, Rachel. This has been really fun to think about uh, hair in this way today. I'm glad. It's always fun for me to talk about. I am always very happy to talk hair. So thank you for having me. Yes. And now I'm going to be noticing red hair like everywhere <laughs> yeah, I go. So thanks everyone for joining in today and tune in next time. Take care.